Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I'm your host, James Rogers, and this is the History Hit Warfare podcast. Each week, twice a week, I bring you brand new original military histories with some of the world's leading experts. And then once a week, I delve deep into the History Hit archives to pull out an episode that I know deserves some more attention. Now, if you're liking what you hear so far, then drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, because it really helps us to get out there to everyone who loves history. And so many of you have done it already that we're jumping up the charts in Apple Podcasts as one of the leading history podcasts out there at the moment. So thank you all so much for that. This episode is a real corker. It's about when Fidel Castro came to Harlem. Simon Hall joined Dan on the podcast to talk about this trip to New York in September 1960. Castro was based at Harlem's Teresa Hotel and he met with a succession, an endless line of political and cultural luminaries. These included everyone from Malcolm X and Nikita Khrushchev through to Allen Ginsberg. Dan and Simon discussed the coming together of these revolutionaries as they embraced the politics of anti-imperialism, racial equality and leftist revolutions. I know you're going to absolutely love this episode and if there's something you specifically want to hear on the podcast then remember you can always get in contact on Instagram at James Rogers History, on Twitter at History Hit WW2 and you can email us directly on the email address warfare at historyhit.com. But here is Dan and Simon on when Fidel came to Harlem. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Dan. It's really great to be here. Uh, you've done that thing that I love it when historians do. You've found that little 10-day period that just, with the most extraordinary cast list you can imagine. What was the background to this famous visit of Fidel Castro to New York City? Uh, yeah, so he's he's uh, he's uh, flown in for the um, 15th General Assembly of the United Nations, which is like a, one of the great sort of set-piece diplomatic moments of the, um, of the post-war uh, the post-war period and um, he's gone there I think to make some mischief and have some fun. Um, look, can I just go first of all because I'm so fascinated by the by the history of the UN people today just they don't realise it was very briefly it was a kind of global parliament I mean it mattered people the, the JFK Eisenhower those guys sweated what happened in uh, on the assembly floor didn't they? Yeah it mattered and it mattered in a way that it doesn't seem to matter at the moment which is um, which is which is telling and it particularly mattered in 
in September of 1960 because it was a moment when uh, more than a dozen newly independent African countries were about to join the United Nations. And um, this was seen both as a you know, hugely symbolic moment in the history of the end of European empire, but also these countries, their allegiances were sort of up for grabs in the, in the uh, Cold War contest between the United States and the West and the, and the Soviet Union and the, and the, and the communist bloc. So um, the United Nations seemed to matter very much in, in the autumn of 1960. And what's Fidel's reputation? In, well, what's, first of all, what's the reality of his position in Cuba and his uh, his approach to, to ruling there? And and what and then what's his reputation uh, in the West in, and also different communities, um, not just in the West, but even within the city of New York? Yeah, so Fidel had um, had seized power. Um, his revolution had succeeded in ousting uh, Batista in in January of 1959, and um, it was a kind of a revolution that had sort of thrilled people, lots of people around the world, including. Um, uh, kind of uh, many liberals and leftists in, in, in Western Europe and in the United States. Um, but as his government had kind of um, begun to kind of consolidate its hold on Cuba, um, support among uh, many um, uh, white liberals basically started to drift away. They'd been particularly alarmed by two things. One, a, a kind of flurry of um, sort of show trials and executions in um, the early months of the revolution. And then an increasingly sort of independent economic policy, which had seen the government in Cuba um, nationalise and expropriate um, uh, companies that were owned by, uh, particularly by American um, businessmen. And so by the time we get to the autumn of 1960, uh, of 1960 his stock is definitely falling um, in, in lots of, um, uh, among many constituencies in the, in the United States and in um, Western Europe. But he's still very popular um, among leftists, and particularly among African Americans, uh, and that's because within just a few weeks of taking power in 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 uh, uh, in um, January of nineteen fifty nine, he had um, committed his government to eliminating uh, racial discrimination and segregation on the island. And so, this was particularly um, uh, kind of exciting because Cuba was just ninety miles off the coast of the segregated South, uh, and Fidel's kind of boldness uh, contrasted very sharply with. The Eisenhower, the Eisenhower administration's kind of um, caution when it came to American race uh, relations. Um, Eisenhower sort of basically said to African Americans, you know, you know, I, I support I support your demands for greater freedom and equality, but you need to be patient. Uh, and um, uh, there was a certain lack of empathy, I suppose, with the increasing urgency of demands in the United States for racial reform and and real change. And. The, I love the popular response to Fidel landing. Paint everyone the picture of what happens when Fidel gets off his plane and heads into downtown. The American government is really very unhappy that he's come uh, to New York. They'd much rather he wasn't there. They place all of these security restrictions on him that mean that um, he's not able to leave the island of Manhattan. Um, uh, he's kind of manhandled a bit when he gets off the plane by the security, uh, the American security, when he attempts to to go over and, and uh, greet a, a crowd of, of um, supporters who've, who've um, assembled at Idlewild Air Airport, which is modern-day JFK, to uh, kind of greet him. And then as he drives in um, uh, to Manhattan, um, there are quite a lot of supporters, um, Cuban-American uh, supporters of the revolution, um, people of South American origin who are uh, Latin American origin who are supportive of the revolution, African-Americans are out. Um, and they gather outside his hotel in Midtown, the Shelburne Hotel, to kind of cheer him so he, he's um and they, and they did this despite the fact that the, the weather is filthy it's pouring with rain um all afternoon 
but they're there on the streets to kind of uh, to kind of greet him and catch a glimpse of him. Does he enjoy this? I mean, how does this impact on him? Yeah, I think obviously, um, whenever he sees people who are who are cheering him, it, 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 that's kind of grist to his mill, really. It's, it's um, uh, he's he's uh, he's pleased by it. Um, he's he's not pleased by the American security presence. He gets very annoyed when they. Um, you know, he tries to get out of his car at one point at the airport and they, they basically force him back in um, and that puts him in a bit of a bad mood. But um, but the sight, the sight of, the, of the supporters is definitely one that puts a smile on his face. And but the one one person who didn't support him was that apparently the hotel. You, you told me all about the uh, the hotel owner was not a big fan. No. So, I mean, the Cubans had had a real tough time in actually securing um, accommodations in New, New York. The original hotel they were going to stay in um, cancelled the reservation when the uh, Fidel announced that he would be heading the delegation and bringing a much larger contingent to New York, and then basically no hotel would would accommodate them. And it took the it started to become a bit of a diplomatic embarrassment for the United States. So the State Department, together with the UN, basically put pressure on the owner of this hotel in Midtown, the Shelburne Hotel, a guy called Edward Spatz, um, and they convinced him to accommodate the Cubans. But Spatz is um, an anti an anti communist, um, and he's a great American patriot, and he makes it very clear to the press that he's only um, taking in the Cubans sort of under sufferance, really. And he kind of makes it clear to the Cubans as well when they arrive that he doesn't really, um, he's not really particularly happy that they're staying there. So there's a moment when they ask, um, you know, he puts a big, huge American flag outside the hotel to kind of burnish his patriotic uh, credentials. And when they ask if they can fly the Cuban flag, he just says, you know, no way. And he tells the press that um, he hates the Cubans. So it's probably not much of a surprise that they the stay at the Shelburne is is a, is a short and relatively unhappy one. Uh, he does, he threatens to sleep outside. He's like, yeah, I've been sleeping in, uh, in under the stars during the revolution. I'm cool with that. Yeah. So even before he gets to New York, he's said, you know, we might have to we might end up having to sleep in in Central Park, but that's fine. We're we're a mountain people. We're used to the open air. Um, and then there's all these rumours flying around shortly after the Cubans have checked in that says that they're plucking chickens and cooking them in their hotel rooms and stubbing out their cigars in the on the expensive furniture. And so Spatz demands a, a $10,000 additional security deposit and, and, and then refuses a Cuban government bond on the grounds that it looks dodgy. And this really is the trigger for Fidel to basically storm out of the hotel, um, head straight to the United Nations headquarters, com- complains to Dag Hammarskjöld, the Secretary General, about the terrible, insulting treatment of his delegation threatens to sleep in the UN Rose Garden if an alternative can't be found. And then um, after a couple of hours at the United Nations, ends up um, relocating to the Hotel Teresa in, in Harlem, the so-called Waldor, Waldorf of Harlem. And where he's, he's, he's more popular uptown, isn't he? Because, it, because then that's when it all turns into a sort of, well, a whole different scene. Yeah, he's enormously uh, uh, popular. It causes huge excitement. News of his move to, to Harlem uh, spreads. So even before he gets there, there are several thousand people on, crowded onto the, the the streets around the the hotel, uh, cheering, waving flags, and and basically that's the scene uh, that repeats itself night after night. Um, crowds gather every day to try to catch a glimpse of of Castro and also to catch a glimpse of many of his ho- many of his um, high profile uh, guests who come who come calling. And so yeah, he gets a very warm reception in Harlem um, itself. Tell me about those guests because I mean this is the thing that's just completely fascinating and and for. For that few, well, for that few weeks, I mean, people often talk about New York being the world's capital, but it was just everyone who was anyone was in New York, and and he seemed to be one of the big players. Yeah, I mean, his his very first guest is Malcolm X, um, who arrives just a few um, 
maybe less than an hour after Fidel checks in at the Teresa, and that really sets the tone of the of the of the of the of, um, of his stay there. So um, his second guest is is Nikita Khrushchev, the leader of the Soviet Union. NASA goes there. Um, Nehru goes there. On the evening of um, September the twenty second, there's a great sort of gala reception held at the Teresa for him, and you get the kind of great and the good of the worlds of kind of politics, culture, uh, the Black Freedom Struggle who are, who were there. People like um, Allen Ginsberg, um, C. Wright Mills, the um, New Left sociologist, the Magnum photographer um, Henri Cartier-Bresson. So you have you know the great and the good of the not just the United States but kind of um, global uh, uh, figures there too. I mean the the, the British theatre critic uh, Kenneth Tynan is there at the reception. So it's um it's kind of a great moment in the history of the this stay, but also a great kind of becomes an iconic moment in the in the history of the kind of wider 1960s. Uh, and yeah, for a while the whole world's attention is really on the comings and goings at the Hotel Teresa. I mean, Fidel really steals the show. What are Tudor men like their women to look like? They should have broad shoulders, fleshy arms, fleshy legs and broad hips. What did 17th century Londoners think of coffee? A syrup of soot and the essence of old shoes. And what did executioners wear? A lot of these guys, they were clothes horses because it's a big public spectacle. All the eyes are on you. I'm Professor Susanna Lipscomb, and in my podcast, Not Just the Tudors, we talk about everything from monasteries to the Medici, sex to spying, wardrobes to witch trials. Not, in other words, just the Tudors, but most definitely also the Tudors. Subscribe from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
apart from the sort of just creating a good vibe, what did these anti-imperialists like NASA and Fidel, did they have anything in common? Did they, did they, was there anything constructive? Or was it, were they there for the Instagram shots? Yeah, I'm not sure they were there just for the Instagram shots, although there are some absolutely wonderful photographs, uh, loads of wonderful photographs of this um, uh, of this whole series of events that take uh, that take place. Um, I think F- Fidel wants um, he wants to be seen with these people because it helps to burnish his own claims to be a, a kind of leader of the global anti-imperialist uh, movement. When it comes to NASA, they do have things in common. So the, the Cubans had admired NASA for kind of standing up to the British and the French in, in 1956 during the Suez crisis. Um, and so they did have um, uh, a kind of shared um, interest there. But but the, the meeting with NASA doesn't doesn't go as well as it might have done. They're, they're two very different uh, characters. I mean, um, Fidel is always in his in his uh, olive green battle fatigues. Uh, his suite at the Hotel Teresa is, is extremely messy. Um, and NASA is a very very smooth, very polished, extremely smart, always very immaculately dressed and turned out. And and Nasser is sort of appalled by the surroundings in the Hotel Teresa when he goes to visit Fidel. But they also don't get along brilliantly. Um, there's a moment when uh, Nasser presents Fidel with a beautiful um, silver tea service as a, as a gift and uh, Castro is uh, can't contain his disappointment at not being given a crocodile. And, and Nasser is kind of, he's like, well there are only four crocodiles in Egypt, they're all in the zoo. I mean, and for days late, days after that meeting, he's um, overheard sort of muttering to himself, you know, a crocodile, a crocodile. Fidel gets on much better with Nehru, where they do they do seem to bond very tightly over uh, the um, kind of granular detail of how to do land reform. Um, so they do seem to share a common interest in that. But a lot of it is about the symbolism. It's not just the photos, but it's the it's the kind of the the wider um, symbolism of, of crafting this kind of anti-imperialist movement and 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 uh, and anti-imperialist moment, I suppose. Yeah, because you think of the transnational architecture of post-Second World War, the UN, the World Bank, the IMF is built by the kind of is built by Churchill and Truman and and these these uh these figures from the Western powers. This must have felt in Harlem, this must have felt like a sort of alternative with great potential, kind of global global a transnational system that one but one that wasn't depend didn't run through Washington DC and, and Whitehall. Yeah, and I think there'd been a sort of an early indication of that. I think it was in 1955 at the Bandung Conference in Indonesia, which was the sort of the first coming together of the so-called non-aligned uh, nations that ultimately become the non-aligned uh, movement, a kind of an attempt to kind of bring together um, this new, potentially this new force in um, in global uh, in global politics. And this is in in the autumn of 1960. This is, as I said earlier, is given real added traction by the influx of so many newly independent countries uh, to the United Nations, including the likes of, of Nigeria and Senegal and stuff. So there's a real a real uh, feeling, I think, that this 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 new force or this growing force uh, can really make a difference, that it can it can maybe challenge the bipolar um, uh, system, the, the, the kind of the Cold War contest between the West and the communist powers, that it can uh, kind of um, pull together the the kind of the interests and the power of these new nations and, and really make a and really make a difference. Uh, so it's quite exciting in that sense, I think. And then speak it's really exciting. Speaking of Berg non-aligned, is that Castro was trying to have his he's trying to ride a couple of different horses there, right? Because he, he was also what was his relationship like with Khrushchev, the Soviet premier? Yeah, so he meets Khrushchev for the first time uh, in Harlem. Um Khrushchev makes a point of going to the Hotel Teresa to meet with Fidel, 
who had offered to go down to the Soviet mission on on um, on Park Avenue. Uh, but Khrushchev wants to go to Harlem to make a, to make a, two points really: one, to um, show solidarity with the the Cubans who have been allegedly mistreated in in Midtown, but also to draw attention to America's uh, race problem and to cause um, embarrassment for the Eisenhower administration. And the two get on really well. Um, they don't meet for very long that first time. It takes the meeting lasts for about half an hour, but they emerge onto the onto the sidewalk, kind of beaming. They share a kind of a very enthusiastic, but because of the, you know, Khrushchev is very short and uh, quite rotund, and Fidel is extremely tall and thin. They share a, an awkward but enthusiastic uh, embrace on the on the on the sidewalk outside the uh, Teresa. Um, when Fidel enters the General Assembly later that day, Khrushchev makes a big a big uh, thing of getting up and going over and greeting him again and having another kind of uh, back-slapping uh, embrace with him. Khrushchev is even extremely patient when Fidel turns up about 45 minutes late for dinner at the Soviet mission a few days a few days later um, and is really at, at pains to put Castro at ease and to be as relaxed as possible. So the chemistry, the personal chemistry between the two of them is is very good and is on show for the whole world. So yeah, at the same time that Fidel is is seeking to kind of burnish his credentials as, as a leader of the of the kind of uh, anti-imperialist global south he's also growing ever closer to the soviet union and did khrushchev say do you want some tactical nuclear missiles on your island he didn't say as far as i know he didn't he didn't say it right then no but uh, obviously um a year or so later after the bay of pigs invasion that's when he does but he does uh, he does um make it clear and, and it has in fact the soviet union has made it clear in the run-up to the general assembly that they're supportive of, of the Cuban revolution um, and they do talk about you know if um, if uh, if Cuba is uh, is attacked by this by the United States that they will you know uh, use their own rockets to protect uh, Cuba so th they've already started to intimate that they're prepared to um, to support the Cuban revolution. What about the African Americans in Harlem and, and beyond what is what is the, the importance of the visit there? I think it's important symbolically uh, not I mean, it's not that everybody who's out on the street cheering for Fidel is a, a, a kind of diehard supporter of the Cuban Revolution, or, or a potential communist or communist sympathizer. Part of it is they're just really excited and pleased that the world spotlight has has been shone on Harlem, an area which is usually kind of cut off from wider public view. And and the, and they're kind of um, there's a kind of a general glee, I suppose, that um, the American government has been embarrassed by all of this. There's, there's a rumor that does the rounds that says that. Um, you know, when Fidel um, said he was going to move up to Harlem, that immediately the American government offered to pay uh, for the Cubans to stay in another hotel in Midtown for, for free. And it's a rumour that's not true, but the fact that it's so popular and it's so widely uh, kind of uh, communicated in Harlem kind of indicates, I think, the, the kind of, um, uh, yeah, the kind of glee that the African-American community there takes with the evident embarrassment of the, uh, the, the State Department and the Eisenhower administration is 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 um, suffering. Um but they also know that um, that Fidel and his government are committed to uh, ending racial segregation on Cuba, that they are committed to um, racial equality. And I think the fact that um, he's prepared to stay in Harlem and to um, show that kind of solidarity is um, is symbolically very important and kind of on an emotional level is, is deeply kind of appreciated. And there's a kind of re a reciprocal... Uh, sense of this sort of solidarity that, that's in the air really I mean on the um, I think it's Wednesday the 22nd when Eisenhower um, uh, speaks himself at the United Nations and then he hosts a lunch for the delegations of the Latin American countries but deliberately excludes Fidel Castro 
So Castro goes back to the Hotel Teresa and, and treats the, the black employees of the, of the hotel to lunch. And of course invites the press there to take photographs and makes a big play about how he's, he's not offended at not being invited to the grand uh, lunch with Eisenhower. He's much more happy and honoured to have lunch with the humble people of, of Harlem. What a player. I mean, is there any, was there any possibility that there could have been rapprochement? I mean, this was a trip to, from Fidel to the US and we see the Bay of Pigs invasion to try and topple Fidel within months. Uh, was was there any suggestion that he might this visit it was a missed opportunity? I think, I mean, it's a really interesting question, that sort of counterfactual. I think there's certainly a point where um, you could see Cuban-US relations not ending up as, as difficult and as tense and as hostile as they eventually became. By the autumn of 1960, things have got pretty uh, pretty bad. And certainly what happens in, 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 in Harlem and in New York in September, you know, just really confirms the Eisenhower administration's conviction that they can have no rapprochement with Fidel or no meaningful kind of um, way of working things out. But there's sort of an inflexibility on both sides, really. I mean, I think there's a, a nice contrast, really, between Eisenhower, who just sort of refuses to meet Fidel, uh, dismisses him in private as a, as a madman, and with Harold Macmillan, who, when he um, enters the General Assembly, he makes a big play of going over to Nasser and shaking him by the hand and being friendly with him. Even though Britain has been humiliated a few years earlier by Nasser and Egypt, and even though Macmillan had been one of the leading uh, hawks in the Suez crisis, and you, I do kind of think, you know, if Eisenhower had just been a little bit more, uh, a little bit more flexible, you know, if I mean it was never going to happen, but if he had gone over to Fidel and kind of shaken him by the hand and said, you know, maybe we should try to, um, you know, meet quietly and try to work some things out, you know, history might have taken a different turn, but some. Um, it was never really on the cards, I don't think. As it was, in t- so come moving away from the counterfactual, uh, back in the um, actual uh, historical record, what are what's the main the main legacy? Do you think of this remarkable ten days? Yeah, so I think it um, it is a key moment in the history of the Cold War because it kind of cements this growing closeness between the Soviet Union and Cuba, which is a really important uh, relationship in its own right, but also indicates how the kind of wider uh, focus of the Cold War is shifting away from Europe to the countries of the of the global South, the Cold War, which is going to focus on Latin America, on Africa, and on and on uh, and on Asia. I think it's also um, I think that there's something about the kind of anarchic sort of rip it up style of this trip, which I think sets the tone for the rest of the for the rest of the decade, um, and a way in particular in which Fidel is kind of fated by the kind of the the great and the good of the American kind of left. Um, is a kind of an early sign of that kind of politics of so-called third worldism and, and radical chic, which becomes really important uh, during the 1960s, particularly during the, the later 1960s with the um, support for the Viet Cong and the support for the Black Panthers, for example. Um, so I think those are probably the two biggest um, kind of consequences, the, the, the kind of cold, cold war relationship and the, and the kind of the the kind of mood music, mood music, the style, the um, the way that the sixties kind of unfold um, as we as we go forward from from this um, from these extraordinary ten days. Well, the book is called appropriately Ten Days in Harlem: uh, Fidel Castro and the Making of the Nineteen Sixties. Go and get it, everybody! It's brilliant, Simon. Thank you very much for coming back on the podcast. You were on years ago talking about nineteen fifty six, um, and so it feels to me like you're you shouldn't you feel free not to answer this, but you're heading on a 
uh, unstoppable trajectory towards 1968. That's what it feels like from this point. Well, we'll see, yeah, but it's great to be back on, so thanks for inviting me. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hip. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.